Welcome back to uh, another live stream. I am going to be starting a new series uh, today for this month because it's Easter month. And, and so I want to say happy Palm Sunday. Uh, the series is called um, Hope Rising. And the message tonight is called Beyond. And I'm going to talk uh, starting with the resurrection. So one of the things that, that you find when you go to church for your whole life or, or you're involved with youth group, you're involved with church, uh, you're involved in, in preaching in whatever way, you hear and tell and read the Easter story over and over and over and over again to the point that it becomes just a story to you sometimes. But it, it, it's not that. It is a very real thing that is the basis for our faith. And so what I want to do with it is to flip it around and start from the resurrection, start from the victory, start from the moment where our faith truly begins, and then go backwards to the moments that, that led up to that for the context. And so I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 28, um, all of the chapter. So early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. So I'm, I'm going to stop there for a second because one of the things that makes this unique, one of the things that, that shows the validity of this story, but despite the fact that, that Jesus is so real to us, Jesus' power, his life, his love, his sacrifice is so real to us, is this story, this account starts with two women. It starts with Mary Magdalene, who uh, in her own way was like a disciple. She um, was, had a very difficult life. There was a, a guided uh, movement against her to make it seem like she was a prostitute. She actually wasn't. She was just a woman who had some problems, who had some issues, but she loved Jesus uh, for who he was. She loved him as her savior. She, she served. She uh, washed his, his feet with her hair. She did all of these different things to show her devotion, to show who she was. And then Mary, his mother, who obviously loved him more than anything in the world, who had to, to watch as he was hated every day, who had to watch as he was betrayed, who had to watch as people went against him, as people talked against him, as people hated him. She had to listen. She had to see those things. She had to feel those things. And yet it starts with those two women. Now, if this were a fiction, if this were something that you were writing, especially at this point in history, you would definitely not start with two women. Because in biblical times, in this point in history, for a long time there, uh, women were not considered even witnesses. Like, you could not go by their word. You could not go by anything they said. And so if they were to report something, you would have to have like two men to back them up, which is ridiculous, I know, but, but that is what it was then. And so for them to start shows that God wasn't concerned in how people view the story. He was concerned in how people feel it, in what it means, in, in what the resurrection would do for us. And so they were on the way to the tomb. They were on the way to visit. They were on the way alone at this point. Because they were sad, because they were hurting, because they were broken. They knew the promises. They knew everything that had been said before. They knew everything that had been done before. They heard and felt and saw his miracles, and yet he was gone. If you ever lost someone, you know that it feels so painful. And even if someone moves out of your life, and obviously this is much more serious, but if someone moves away, uh, goes a couple states away or something, and they're like, you know, all right, I'll talk, we'll, we'll see each other, we'll Zoom, we'll FaceTime, all of these different things, and, and, and it still feels different. Even if you believe you'll see them again someday, it, it's still that, that loss, especially if they're a, a close family member, a close friend, somebody that you love. You feel that loss. And, and so this is magnified a hundred thousand fold for, for Mary and Mary Magdalene, for the disciples, for the people who followed Jesus, because they gave him not just their hearts, but their souls. They believed in everything. And, and they still held on to the hope, the faith that he would come back. 
But as the two women were walking to the tomb, they had to be feeling just the weight of everything falling down upon them. Because the Pharisees, the Romans, they were probably running around celebrating. They were saying, see, we told you. And, you know, the disciples may have been, he said, three days. Like, we still got time. And they're like, whatever, we got this. We got this. And so we're going to the next verse, verse 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Uh, Remember what I have told you. We like to picture, especially as Christians, we like to picture angels as um, these really uh, artistic looking people with harps and like long flowing hair and really pretty wings. Uh, Sometimes we picture them with trench coats and, and things like that, but we still like to picture them very human. And yet they were very not that because they're not the same as humans. They're not the same as us. And so they were scary. It was terrifying, even if they did look the same as us, especially at this point with the lack of technology, with the lack of everything, for, for this being to just appear and this giant stone to roll away and him to, to sit on it, you'd be freaking out, like you'd be terrified. And you see this from the soldiers who were guarding it actually fainting. The soldiers who were guarding it actually fainting because their salvation, their hope was not found in Jesus. They only believed in Rome. They only believed in what they saw. They only believed in what was in front of them. And yet Mary and Mary... Uh, they loved Jesus, they knew him, and even though they were scared, and I guarantee they felt fear, they still felt the power of Jesus in their life. They still felt the hope of Jesus in their life. And that word, hope, is why I wanted to do this series this way. Because our hope comes from all of this story. But sometimes as we go through it, again, like I said, we kind of turn the people into characters and we kind of forget that, that this was, was an actual event, an actual thing. That when Jesus was pierced, that he was actually pierced. That when he died, he actually died. When he came back, he actually came back. And so I want to start with the hope. I want to start with where this all goes. And, and the women here, Mary and Mary, they... they had to be feeling all kinds of different things. They went from feeling the dread of walking up to see the tomb to, to feeling the fear of this shocking moment of an angel coming to, to, to feeling the, the relief probably of what he said, but then also the doubt because the angel wasn't God, the angel wasn't Jesus. And so to hear that, even though it's an angel and it's something amazing, you have to be thinking, I, I hope he's right. Like, I I have to see it because most of us are very, we have to see it to believe it. Uh, And that's something that that is truly on display here. And that's what this story is all about. The fact that the people who who were around Jesus, once they saw him, they felt it. but, But even once they heard of it, they knew that their hope was rising again. They knew that it was back. And so I want to continue. The women ran quickly from the tomb. Uh, they were very frightened, and, uh, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, pr- uh, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Both the angel and Jesus, their first words are basically, don't be scared. Because Jesus understands 
what we feel. He understands that we want to hope. He understands that we want to feel his love, his hope, but that we still have great fear. Uh, what's going on right now in the world is insane. Terry and I were talking about it earlier and how it's affecting different pockets of the world, different cities, and, and how things are shut down, and how we're like, man, I really hope this is done by this time, uh, but we don't know, and it's hard to not know those things. It's hard to not see the incoming. It's hard to to be able, it's hard to be able to continue that hope when you're alone at home all of the time, or when you're with your family all the time, which maybe is even worse sometimes, just joking. But, but it can be a very hard thing because you don't see the same things. You don't hear the same things. All you see is news report after news report after news report, uh, conference after press conference after press conference, and very often within the press conferences, within the news report, there's conflicting information. It can be so hard to keep that hope alive, to keep that, that, that feeling of togetherness, that feeling of community alive. And Jesus, when he appeared to them, he knew that the angel sent the message and he knew that they were going to go tell it, but he knew that they needed to feel his presence again. He, he knew that they would believe in him, that they had faith, but he knew what they needed. And he always knows what we need when we need it. That is such an important thing for, for us as Christians. He always knows what we need when we need it, even though we don't. See, if it were left up to us, we would have ice cream for every meal. We'd die at like age 23 or before. And, and, and you know, we'd do all kinds of other things that, that are stupid. We'd drag race through churches or something like that. Like we'd do all kinds of ridiculous things and, and just ruin our lives completely because what we want in the moment is very short-term happiness-based. Uh, we don't think towards the future very often unless it's for our family, unless it's for somebody else. But Jesus knows what we need. He knows that ice cream may taste good, but if you have it for every meal, you're going to die, but not, it's not a threat. It's just legitimate biology, but, but he, he knows what we need. He knows that we need to feel him. He knows that right now, even though we're watching live streams, even though we're watching Facebook lives, even though there's so many Zoom sessions and all of these different things, even though we can see people, we need to feel him. And so one of the things that I've heard over and over again from people, uh, Christians, uh, about this, this quarantine is, yeah, it's so weird not to go to church, but I can't imagine Easter. I can't imagine what it will be like on Easter. I can't imagine what it will be like on Palm Sunday. And it will be weird. It's weird, as I've said before, to kind of stand here and be talking. It's one thing to be talking about depression, as I did last week. It's another to be talking about the resurrection to a mostly empty room, uh, except for Terry. And, and it's, it's, it's such a different thing because we're so geared towards having things a certain way. We... we dress up fancy for Easter. We, we wear really cool flowered hats and really cool floral dresses. And that's just, that's just Tim Oldfield. We do all of these different things that, that, that we wear. I have no idea if Tim's watching, so we'll find out. Uh, we, we, we wear our best. We look our best. We act our best. We invite people. The churches are packed. And so we're used to that. As children, we, we grow up being used to that on Palm Sunday. They, they would come through the churches, the little kids usually, and like wave the palms. And, and, and we'd see that, we'd hear that, we'd feel that. We'd talk about the resurrection, we'd be happy, we'd share communion. All of these things happen every single year. And we start to take them for granted. And now none of those things are happening 
corporately, like in a community. They have to happen in your homes. And that's very weird and it's very hard because it's very different. Uh, I know we're going to have a special Thursday service, a special Friday service. I know we're going to have a wonderful Easter live stream. I know that, that people are passing out communion elements uh, so that you guys can have them at home and take communion together. And it's special and it's amazing and Jesus is in those things. But it's kind of different. It's kind of like when an angel says, hey, Jesus is back, don't worry, versus when Jesus comes back and says, hey, I'm here. And what I mean by that is, even though you're going to be predisposed to feeling kind of weird coming up this week, remember that, that it is not where you are that matters. It is who you are that matters. It, it is not what building you're in that matters. It, it, it is who you are serving. And Jesus is there. Uh, there are several scriptures that talk about how Jesus is there for, for just a few people. He would speak to one person where two or three are gathered. Uh, it, all of these things would happen for Jesus' power. He meets two women right here and says, hey, I'm back. Go tell everybody. And that is what Easter is about. That is what the resurrection is about. And that's why I'm starting on Palm Sunday with this, because we want to be prepared for when Easter happens because just because there's not going to be 600 people in a church, just because you're going to be watching a screen, it's still Easter and it is still the moment that our faith begins and it is still the moment that our hope rose from the dead, literally rose from the dead. And so we see as, as Jesus sees what the, the Marys need to hear, what they need to know, and he tells them. Whatever it is right now that you're feeling, whatever worries you have, concerns you have, whatever problems you have because of, of uh, job closings, because of being stuck at home, because of the quarantine, because of sickness, because of anything, I, I hope that you're getting the help that you need. I hope that you're aware of, of doctors, of counseling, of, of unemployment places, of all the kinds of places that can help out. But I also hope that you understand that even though it's hard right now, God still loves you. The verse I used on my, my Facebook Live thing Thursday and also last week about nothing can separate you from God's love, that's exceedingly true now. And so remember that you are loved. Remember that the same Jesus that appeared to the Marys is there with you right now, even though you may not be able to literally see him. Uh, I want to go on to the next verse. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus. Uh, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, he'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. We, we read this paragraph, often when we're talking about the resurrection, we kind of skip over it because it doesn't really fit the narrative of what we want to talk about because it's just like this, this cutaway scene. If this were a movie, it would be like going away from the A story, which is Jesus coming back and talking to the Marys and talking to the disciples, to the B story of the bad guys meeting in a room and saying, we're going to continue to be bad. Well, the thing is, it's easy to call someone the bad guy, especially if they do bad things, and they had. The Pharisees, the Romans, they had done bad things, but they're still people. And so the reason that I focus on this paragraph is you're not just seeing like the bad guys continue to be bad. You're not seeing them plot their next heist. You're not seeing anything like that. You're seeing men who had grown up learning the word of God, memorizing the scriptures, 
And they truly had every single word of, of the, the, the first five books of the Bible memorized, of the Jewish Bible memorized. They had it all memorized. They knew the scriptures word for word. They knew the messianic prophecies. They knew what was going to happen. And the reason they hated Jesus so much is partially because he fulfilled the prophecies, but mostly because he did it in a way they did not expect. You see, when you decide something is how it's going to be, uh, you want it to be that way. So like if you decide, you know what? When I grow up at age 23, I'm going to get married and then I'm going to have 2.5 kids and then I'm going to get a Ferrari and then I'm going to get a job uh, being a CEO of, I don't know anything that has a CEO right now, Microsoft, whatever. And so you're going to get that job and it's like, this is going to be my life. This is my, my plan. This is my schedule. This is what's going to happen. And as you get to 23, you're like, oh, I got to go to graduate school, or I don't have the money to do this, or, or man, I'm not married yet, what's happening? You can start to be like, well, this, this isn't right, this is wrong, and you, can, you have two choices at that point. You can stubbornly cling to this, this narrow path that you decided, and it's like, this is going to be it no matter what happens. I don't care who I have to hurt. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care what I have to compromise. I'm going to do this the way that I decided, or you can be open to be like, okay, this isn't what I expected, but, but I'm going to trust God here. I've talked about my story several times, not on the live stream really, but I've talked about my story and how I, I did not expect my life to be like this. I did. I, I expected in my early 20s I'd be married. I expected that I have a family. I expected that I'd be a doctor. Uh, none of those things have happened. It's very uh, disheartening at that moment. And yet, as I went forward, I wasn't sure where I was going necessarily. I just knew I was trying to follow God. Looking back, I can see all of these different steps and how they took place and how they helped me and how they guided me and what they mean now. In that moment, you can't really feel that. But I could have been stubborn and said, you know what, I'm going to compromise. I don't care about my values. I don't care about this. I don't care about that. I'm going to compromise. I'm going to make it be the, the story that I wanted. I'm going to do it right now. And, you know, that would have sucked. It, it simply would have sucked. But people do that. Uh, and yet the Pharisees. The Messiah wasn't who they wanted. They expected a soldier, a warrior. The disciples even, even expected that. A warrior to, to come and lead them against Rome and take over the world and make the kingdom of heaven be on earth and, and give them power. And when Jesus came, it, it was a guy walking around saying, I love you and this is how you can go to God. Saying, you're worth it, you're valuable. Saying, treat others better. And the Pharisees are like, no, no, no. You're supposed to be taking people down and showing your power and using this. And so they did not want to see him. Some of them did. Some of them, like Nicodemus, would talk to him and kind of start to get it. But, but most of them, especially the ones that, that led to him uh, being killed, they're, they're like, I don't want to see it. And so they didn't. And yet, in this moment, knowing that he came back, because they did not really think the disciples ha had taken him or they wouldn't have had to bribe the guards, because you don't usually have to bribe people if you know that what you're saying is true. You just say, hey, it's true. Uh, one of the marks of knowing someone is not telling the truth is if they start with saying, listen, I promise that what I'm about to say is very true. You don't need to say that if it's true. You just talk. And, and so they bribe them, and they've gone now from ignorance, which ignorance we use as a bad word is not a bad word, it's just not knowing someone. They've gone now from ignorance into willful ignorance. They've gone now from not wanting to believe to forcing themselves and others to not believe. They are stubbornly clinging to their ideas, to their old life, to what they want over the evidence in front of them, over what Jesus just did, rose from the dead in front of them. Uh, 
we see this all of the time. One of the things that I've talked about on, on little podcasts that I've done, Stevie's side quests, are, are this past week I talked a little bit about how uh, the, the political divide has continued to get worse and worse in that if you are a Democrat, everything any Republican says is wrong and evil. If you're a Republican, everything a Democrat says is wrong and evil, and, and you just butt heads and you build uh, fortresses around your ideas and around yourself, and you will not listen, you will not care, and there's no compromise. And I know that sounds like an old man saying, hey, in my day, it's always kind of been like that, but it's just because of the 24-7 news, because of Twitter, because of social media, because of the fact everyone is everywhere all the time, it feels worse. And that's what the Pharisees are doing here. They're not listening to evidence. And we can sometimes cling to that ourselves. We can cling to what we think. We can cling to what someone's hairstyle should be. We can cling to what, what someone's look should be in church. We can cling to, to what version you, you should use of the Bible. We can cling to all different kinds of things like that. And it's one thing if it's, it's from God. If God's saying, this is it, you have to stand on this. It's another if it's you, like the Pharisees here, saying, you know what, this is what I want, and this is what I'm comfortable with, and anybody else that goes against me, they're hung. And I will not listen. I will not care about evidence. I will not care. And so it goes from God telling you to stand on this to some people who are like, you know what? I feel like God may be saying I should change my mind, but I'm not going to. And we, we hear that and we're like, that's ridiculous. What is that? How would you do that? And the Pharisees are doing that. Because again, because we turn this into a story, we sometimes turn them into villains. They're people. And they were religious, faithful people. They were not bad people. They did bad things. They did evil things. But they were good people who believed for a while at least they were doing the right thing. But then once they saw, I'm not doing the right thing, they kept doing the wrong thing. And we see the reverse of that where we talk about Paul last week, where he was a Pharisee. And he was doing the same things as them. But then Jesus showed him evidence of a different way. And he's like, okay, I get it. And these, and I'm sure some of the men in this room eventually changed, I hope, but most of them, their greatest sin was not what happened to Jesus. Their greatest sin was that they refused to see him even when he came back. They refused to feel him even when he said, hey, look at me. And that's such a dangerous thing. And we go from that straight into the Great Commission, which is the next part here. Uh, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One of the key words in this paragraph, well, there's a couple, because I'm going to go back just a little bit, because it says some of the disciples doubted. And we've heard about doubting Thomas, who, who needed to truly see it. And, and again, he's kind of turned into a villain. And, and, and Jesus said, hey, you know, people that don't need to touch my scars, that don't need to see me, they're going to be more blessed. He doesn't say Thomas is going to hell. He doesn't say that you're not going to be blessed at all. He just says, hey, you needed more evidence than you should need. Work on your faith. And so I hope that Thomas did. He probably did. But there are times in your lives, and maybe right now in this quarantine, in this epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, uh, you're feeling doubts. You're feeling doubts about yourself. You're feeling doubts about where you belong. You're feeling doubts about your value. You're feeling doubts about leadership. You're feeling doubts about God. And, and 
when you're raised in a church, it's like, wait, doubt is a bad word. I can't do this. I can't have this. It's okay to have doubts as long as you don't cling to them like the Pharisees did. As long as you look for the evidence that God is giving you. As long as you listen when Jesus comes and says, hey, look at me. Feel me. I'm back. And so it's important to not just cling to those doubts, but to pray, to, to seek help, to seek counseling, to read, to go straight to God and say, hey, I'm having doubts right now. What can I do? And he may not answer you in the way that you expect, in the way that, that, that you want, in the way that, that a lot of people would, but in the way that you need, he will. Every single Christian in the history of time has gone through a period of doubt. It, it happens. It, it's, it's insane to have blind faith in anything. And so at some point you're going to doubt, but the power of Easter, the power of his message shows us that that hope is there even through that as long as you keep looking for it, as long as you don't give in to those doubts, as long as you don't give in to what other people are saying, as long as you don't give in to the fears, as long as you don't give in to all of that. And that's what he was telling Thomas and that's what he's telling us through his story. And then he goes on to say, hey, the Christian movement, and they hadn't called it this yet, but yet, but that's what it is. The Christian movement is based on me. This is Jesus talking. The Christian movement is based on me, and I just died and came back to give you victory over sin, and that is what this is going to be based on, but now it's on you, and this is him talking to the disciples. He'd already told Peter he'd be the rock of the church, but now he's telling them, it's up to you not just to stand and be the disciples, because the disciples could have been just like the Pharisees and said, this is how we've always done it. We're going to do exactly what we've always done with Jesus, but Jesus says, no, it's going to be different now. Because you have to be willing to change according to how God leads you. You have to be willing to follow him. You have to be willing to follow that hope. And so he gives them what's called the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. Go and, and help others to see you. And he uses the key word in this. He says, teach them. He does not say force them. He does not say punish them. He does not say shame them. He does not say judge them. He says, teach them. By how you live, teach them by how you act, teach them by who you are, teach them because Christianity is not a forced movement. It is a movement on love and relationship. And that's what Jesus did. And again, that's why the Pharisees, one of the reasons they hated him. You see, Jesus could have done this in a million different ways. Uh, if we were writing it or we were planning it and you're like, OK, the, the hero, the savior needs to come back now, needs to be resurrected. And it's going to have to be public like it has to be where everybody sees him and where the most powerful people are like they can't they can't walk away from it. And he's going to come back and he's going to say, I'm in charge now. I'm the man now, dog. He's going to say that. And he's, he's going to show his power and he's going to smite his enemies. And that's what's going to make it a perfect story. That's what's going to make it work. And so he could have done that. He could have, have appeared not to two women, not to the disciples, but he could have appeared right in the middle of, the Rome, of Rome. He could have appeared right in the middle of the Senate session, right to the emperor, right in front of the Pharisees. He could have appeared anywhere he wanted and said, look, you guys just killed me. I'm back. You're done. And I'm in charge. And he could have done that. And he had the power to do that. But he didn't. He didn't because... It is not love. It is not a relationship if you try to force it on someone. You have to teach them. You have to show them. You have to exemplify it. And so that's what he did. So many people in the history of time have gotten messed up along the way because they go from listening to God's word to listening to their own word and deciding this is what God would want. Not even talking to him, not even thinking about him, not even acting like he told you to act. Uh, there's a story that I tell sometimes, and I'm going to use Terry in this example because he can't do anything. Well, he can do something, but he can cut my feet. Um, but so let's say Terry wakes up tomorrow 
And God says, Terry, uh, I want you to have an apple for breakfast. And Terry's like, okay, God, thanks for talking to me. This is, it's weird that the first thing you've ever said to me is this, but I'll do it. And so Terry eats the apple. And then Tuesday, same thing. God said, Terry, have another apple for breakfast. And so Wednesday, same thing. And he's like, Terry, have an apple for breakfast. And each day, Terry has the apple. And then on Thursday, Terry gets up and he hears God. And he's like, I got it, I got it. And he goes and gets the apple. But God's like, I wanted you to have an orange today. And it's kind of a stupid story, but so many people do that, and the Pharisees are doing that. You see, we, we hear God sometimes, we feel him leading us somewhere, and then we decide on our own that's the only way it will ever be. We decide on our own that we are in charge and not him, and we never say that, but the way that we act do, does that. And so he's telling the disciples this for a reason, because he knows that their temptation is to go forcefully and say, hey, we saw Jesus and we hate you guys because you ruined this, but we're going to make it better. And he said, no, no, no. We're built on love. We're built on faith. We're built on teaching. We're built on setting the example. We're built on treating others as you want to be treated. And I want you to be open to that, to, to be willing to follow that. And over the course of time, you've seen how, how uh, worship experiences change. You've seen how sometimes things are, are different. And, and that's not to say that everything should follow society. And it's not to say that every truth is every truth. That, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we are celebrating the resurrection not because it's just a story that happened, but because it's our hope showing us how to live. And in fact, the reason that we have churches on Sunday is because of the resurrection, because the Sabbath is Saturday. And we change that to recognize the resurrection every single Sunday. And so that's a different thing. And so pay attention to how God is leading you. And when he calls you to witness to someone, he is not saying walk up to them and slam the Bible in their face and be like, you have to live exactly like I live. He's saying, tell them who you are and why you love Jesus and, and what it means to follow him and show them who that is. And then lead them that way, teach them that way. And so he told the disciples that. And then they told their disciples that. And they told their disciples that. And then it got to now, where we are spending this moment in time live streaming our, our faith. And, and it would be easy to, again, stubbornly be like, you know what? God loves us and he protects us, so we're all just going to meet all of the time. And I'm sure there are churches that are doing that. And I'm not questioning them. I'm not judging them. I don't know how God speaks to everyone. But instead, you see churches trying different things, like having drive-in churches, having live streams, doing things that, that, that follow the guidelines of this whole corona pandemic. To, to make it safer for people, to make people feel better. And instead of stubbornly clinging to our own ways, we're saying, okay, God, you still have something to teach me. And so we're going to have to be even more open over the next several weeks, over the next several months, as we learn to, to grow from this. He's probably trying to teach you something right now, and I don't know what it is, but he does. And so listen and remember that the resurrection is not just something we talk about on Easter. And in fact, in here, we're not going to talk about it on Easter. But... but it's something that shows that nothing can stop Jesus from helping other people, from showing that there's nothing to fear, from showing that there's a better way, not even death. And so when he came back, he said, do not fear. And so I say to you that same thing. Do not fear. Keep living for him. Keep listening to him. Keep following him. Keep doing your best to be like him and help others see how you live to do the same. That's all I got.